0: Welcome to another Blaney's Podcast. We're very happy to have with us in the beautiful Blaney's Podcast studio, Mr. Steve Popoff. Good morning, Steve. Morning, Blue. Steve, we're going to be talking today about one of your areas of expertise, and that is succession planning. Now, we all know that the baby boomer generation is graying, and to a large extent, their assets and their businesses require some kind of transition or sale or divestiture, but sometimes we don't really put our mind to that issue and and our various clients don't start to realize it until maybe it's a little too late. So why is this a good time for our clients and people who are interested uh, with a business to put their mind to succession planning?
1: Well, Lou, uh, succession planning can take many forms or have many reasons. Protecting the legacy of your business is one, planning for the future, whether it's your retirement or otherwise, uh, capitalizing on value, or incentivizing management. And you're right, most people are busy, and they are too busy just dealing with their businesses, and they don't realize that you don't just flip a switch or turn a button, and then all of a sudden make changes so that you can walk out the door the next day.
0: That's a very good point. So when should uh, somebody who is a business owner start thinking about this kind of transition?
1: Well, I think a business owner should be thinking about it the minute they set up their business because a lot of the time you have to think in terms of uh, tax planning, uh, planning for uh, your kids, your family, whether there's a way of income splitting or uh, essentially taking advantage of the capital gains exemption on multiple parts uh, for multiple parties. Um, so if you do it right away and you do it throughout the transition of your business and the growth of your business, I think that's the best way to look at it. So when you actually set up a business, you know, think about ways that you can essentially split income, uh, split the capital gains exemption, get extra deductions for people or split, uh, split off some profits to people and also incentivize your management if that's something that you want to do. When you're getting close to the end of it, if I can put it that way, I hate to Hate to put it in those terms, but uh, when you're getting close to the end of it, and by close to the end of it, uh, I don't mean you know a year away. I mean maybe four or five years away, possibly two, three years away. I think the thing, the best thing you can do is actually work with your lawyer, accountant, think about it, working with an investment banker in terms of what you want to do with your business, whether or not you want to sell, and what you need to do to prepare your business for a sale. One of the things that people don't realize is that you can actually sometimes make your business more attractive to a buyer if you take some time, make some changes, uh, put lipstick on a pig is the way I put it, Um, but that's something to think about also. Also, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is you don't just walk out the door. If you're selling to a strategic buyer, a strategic buyer in the same business, I mean, that person is going to want you there so that you can help transition clients, help transition suppliers, consultants, et cetera.
0: Now, Steve, I I know that there are probably three different uh, people who might be interested in taking on the succession. The way I see it is if you're a business owner and you have kids, you may want to transition them over to the kids. And I, I presume that's a, a series of different factors. And if you want to sell it to management, which is, I think, the second uh, possible buyers or transition p- parties, and, of course, to sell it to a third party through, uh, through an investment banker or whoever else you have. So why don't you tell us a little diff- about the differences between those three transitions and how you would address it?
1: Well, certainly, you know, when you're dealing with family, you have to think in terms of who is going to protect the legacy of your business the best. Um, That could pose some real family issues. Also, in terms of what sort of control that you want for a transition period when, you're, when your siblings or your nieces, nephews, spouse, whoever, are coming into the business. Um, one of the things to think about is a shareholders agreement, how you're going to control what you're going to take out, what you're going to do in terms of that as to whether or not you need it for retirement. So you'd think about that in terms of an entire succession plan, an entire estate plan, um, when you want to transition to management, it's very similar. It's a very similar thought process because, you know, you might not want to hand over the reins all at once and in one fell swoop, if I can put it that way. You may want to transition managers into the business. You may want to, you know, look at what they're doing in terms of being owners of the business also for what for the time that you actually step out.
0: Now, and the, and the third one, of course, if you want to sell it uh, to a third party, you know, what, what goes on after that?
1: Well, uh, if you want to sell to a third party, it's different considerations, whether it's to a strategic buyer or a third-party investment buyer. A third-party investment buyer may want you there for a longer period than a strategic buyer. A strategic buyer is going to want you for a certain period of time in order to transition clients and make changes. But in terms of a an investment buyer they may want you there for a significant length of time. They may want to aggregate, uh, buy and sell certain parts of businesses, yours or others. Um, They may want to bolster the investment and they may want to flip it so that they can make money on it. It's a classic private equity play, which is buy a business, aggregate and then sell. So you could be part of the aggregator or the aggregatee. If you're part of the aggregatee, then it's probably a shorter timeline because they're just bringing you into the business and your business is going to be part of a larger investment that they have.
0: Now, I know this is hard to to answer because every family is different, but... How does an owner know that his kids can operate the business and are ready to operate the business? And is there training? And what are the conversations that you have with your clients about this?
1: Well, I think, first of all, you know, you have to be blunt. And you you, you never know whether or not a family member is going to do a good job until they're actually doing the job. And that's why I think sometimes it's pretty important for you to be transitioning the, the business with them. I'd love to say that it works every time. But I know that there have been a lot of cases. There's a lot of case law dealing with oppression remedies, that sort of thing, uh, fights afterwards. So the more you plan, the better the shareholder's agreement you have. I think the the easier the transition is and the better it is. So you have to really think in those terms, and you have to think about who's going to be a good manager, and you may have to make some tough decisions.
0: Now, you know, I, I was thinking about this interview uh before today, obviously, and and, it can, and it, I thought about what would be the best thing for your kids in terms of the business, and wouldn't it always be the case for you to maximize the value of it by selling it to a third party and just giving them the money?
1: Oh, well, not necessarily, because you know you can you can actually uh, make an income for yourself over time, a retirement income, and if your kids are in the business and running it. Um, You may not want to let go of it completely. I mean, you may want to just take some money out. You may want to still make some decisions. And there's a significant amount of level of uh, pride, I think, that's involved when your kids are taking over your business or a relative is taking over the business. You know, there are different considerations for different people.
0: It might be said that uh, when a dad or a mom sells the business to their kids, the kids look after them into their old age simply by running the business well. Wouldn't that be right?
1: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, you also have to make sure that you've built into your arrangement something that is more concrete than that. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that somebody just rely on the goodness of family members. I think if, if you have something in writing, if you've had something that you've agreed upon, then it's much easier. There are fewer family issues. If you've got something that you've actually set out and you've set out a plan then you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to have those awkward conversations around the dinner table uh, in the hospital when somebody's having grandchildren or whatever.
0: Now, we've also talked about the sale of the business to a third party through uh, um, simply by selling it as best as possible. And as you put on on lipstick on a pig, when is the right time to maximize the value of a company? I, I presume it's not always at retirement age. There might be other times to sell.
1: Well, I think I think you want to maximize the value of a company always. When you're working on, you know, when you're working in a business, you want to make sure that you always maximize the value of the business. But in terms of optics, if you're looking at selling and retiring, I would suggest a time frame in the 5 year or more range because you know, having having your professionals look at uh, a business, look at a company, look at an organization they might suggest, suggest some tax changes or some reorganization changes. They might suggest some rationalization changes, some um, uh, changes in terms of the scope of the business. And then, you know, you can, you can essentially engage an investment banker also after that process. When I say an investment banker, it could be a third party, it could be your accountant um, there are a number of middle market investment bankers that will work for a small success, or sorry, a small work fee and a large success fee. So it's not a matter of actually paying them a ton of money up front, and they can look at it. They can figure out what might be attractive to a potential purchaser, and actually get you potential purchasers. So looking at it five years out is probably the right time, so that you can have some time to structure. You can have some time to go to market. There's going to be a time period when an investment banker is actually going to be putting together a confidential information memorandum with some financial and business information that would be a bit of a teaser that they can send out to people in the market, both strategic buyers and investment buyers, private equity funds, for instance. And they're always looking for investments. So, you know, starting early gives you some flexibility in terms of coming to market, putting your best foot forward.
0: So it sounds to me like you play the role of the quarterback when you deal with that kind of situation because you've mentioned uh, an estate plan. So I presume that you would work with an estate lawyer or somebody specialized in Mm estate. You've talked about tax issues. So I presume you work with either tax accountants or tax lawyers. You've talked about investment bankers, which is something that you have mentioned as a way of selling the business. So is this something that you do regularly in terms of, quarterbacking, that kind of arrangement for your clients?
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, I put people in touch with uh, investment bankers right at the beginning. Um, It only makes good good business sense. And we also have people here that we have 130 lawyers, essentially, and we have people that specialize in various areas, and they do this every day. So, uh, yes, I would quarterback. Yes, I start out, and I put my clients in touch with the, the right people at the right times, and I stay in the process,
0: So, Steve, if one of our listeners wants to get a hold of you to uh, engage you, at least to seek your advice and get some consult on it, what what is your contact information?
1: My email address is spopoff, S-P-O-P as in Peter, O-F-F as in Frank, at blaney.com, B-L-A-N as in Nancy, E-Y.com. And my telephone number is 416-593-3972.
0: Thank you, Steve, for this. I appreciate it. Thanks, Lou. What? Cool.